Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Chris G. One more time, going by Mike G. You know, Mike, we do these in uh, separate locations, and I know you were just on vacation. Uh, I'm rocking the hotel right now, so I've got these kids right outside. So if people hear it in the background, they're playing cornhole, and they are just bumping their music. <laughs> so if you hear, like, that's the environment that I'm in right now. So if you hear that, uh, our listeners out there, they can uh, be enjoying this. They're probably doing it with some cornhole and some music, too. Is that the way that you do corn? Do you even call it cornhole in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, or, or, or beanbags. I mean, that's another name for it. That's more of a southern version. Uh, obviously, extremely popular during tailgating season around here. Dude, it's so funny because, like, you know, I'm 40 now, so you're like, I don't want to be the old guy. Like, that was me, you know, at the hotel, and we're just chilling outside. You don't want to hang out in the room. You're probably here for a tournament, some sort of volleyball or softball or baseball tournament it's summertime you can't you can't be that guy are we that guy now oh we're definitely that guy now i mean at the age we're at i mean there's no question i mean i guess the best question to ask is are they playing any good music uh, you know sometimes you hear good stuff sometimes you're like what are they listening to i don't know it might be a rave out there and they're playing cornhole i don't know we got those kids outside there playing. We got another episode of the Sports Cube. We got a lot of stuff to cover here in today's episode. And we've got some listeners, so make sure you keep hitting that subscribe button. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, and we're putting on different platforms and bringing all this sports knowledge to you. Mike's got most of the sports knowledge. I'm just kind of driving the ship and keeping us going. But we got a lot of great things to talk about. And the thing that's fresh on everybody's mind right now, Mike, is did you know what Spider Tech was? I would say. Three weeks ago. Never heard of it three weeks ago. I had heard of illicit sticky substances, but apparently that is what it is now. So did this, in your opinion, did this ball start to roll when, well, I guess what got the ball rolling on this? What what really kind of started this whole issue with the pitchers in Major League Baseball? To me, it's baseball devolving into a three outcome sport. I think the younger generation wants to see more action and we've steadily seen a decrease in on the field baseball action. At this point, you're basically, you're going to walk, you're going to strike out or you're going to smash it. It can be entertaining at times, but leads to a slower game. And I think major league baseball has gotten to a point where they're not liking the trajectory of that type of sport and their hand was forced. I mean, especially with a lot of the rumors floating around. I mean, we're not talking about fringe major, major leaguers here. We're talking about the Garrett Coles of the world, the Trevor Bowers of the world. These are your Cy Young award winners. These are guys that gets votes in the MVP. They are big name pitching stars in the game. And when their names are being implicated in this and, a lot of the, the viewership is down. Major League Baseball had to step in and do something, and they decided to make a rule change midseason, which is a little odd. And you hit on so many good points right there. So Garrett Cole, the, everybody's seen the video by now. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out online. But obviously he was asked the question, and he really did not answer the question. And it just led to this snowball effect of now they're going to start looking into these things more and more. And then it's interesting you talk about the viewership because – I don't think we've seen the fullest sample size yet as far as the ratings, but this is going to end up benefiting baseball because right now it's the middle of the season. It's getting into the summertime, you know, that they call it the dog days of summer. 
we're a long way away from September and October and the playoffs uh, in Major League Baseball. What do you have to basically keep an audience captivated? Well, now all of a sudden we got pitchers are taking their pants off and removing belts and putting their hands up in the air. And there's all these shakedowns that are basically going on at the pitcher's mound. Uh, and Max Scherzer, you can look on social, the clicks and the views that that incident got, and it's going to track better a Wander, a Wander Franco home run right now, which was also equally very big on social, but people like the controversy. The steroid era, and when you're talking about Sosa McGuire and the home run chase and the whole thing, you know, that was prime, prime viewership for Major League Baseball and what they were doing and how they came back from a strike and everything like that. And now you've got a situation where everybody's paying attention to this, and it seems silly, but people are watching. It could be the reverse steroid era, the, the sticky ball era. I mean, it's 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 definitely unprecedented for this type of situation to come up in the middle of the season and such drastic action taken because I think you're going to have, you know, the, the play is definitely going to be impacted. It already has been in the small sample size since enforcement started. I mean, we're looking at a situation where slugging percentage is up. Batting averages are, are slightly up and they're starting to, it's starting to come into play. Some people will say, okay, well, maybe that's due to warm weather in parts of the Northeast where you're at and other places of the country. There's another belief circle that says, well, if you're not, if you're going to be checking this hard for these substances, there've been a lot of guys using sunscreen for a long time to just get grip on the ball. And they've only used it in the seasonal capacity in the summer. Maybe their control's not going to be as good. I mean, that's always been the onus on the pitcher situation where, all right, well, I'm sweating a lot. I'm starting to lose control of the ball. I need to get control. Otherwise, I'm going to hit a guy in the head with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and then becomes a safety issue. I think even if you talk to some very established hitters in the league, some of the top guys, they would say, well, I feel a little more comfortable if the guys may be using sunscreen, but when you, when you get to spider tack, it's a whole new ball game. And another thing that I found very interesting as I looked into this is the spin rates are down about 100 revolutions uh, since they've been measuring it the last couple of weeks, which that might be coincidental, but I don't think so. It's the lowest it's been in several years. So maybe there's something to be sad about the widespread use of sticky slash illicit substances on the baseball so it's interesting again that you bring that up because you you've seen we've seen it I, we've been to many baseball games you watch a lot of baseball on tv how many times the pitcher he's put the glove under his arm he's got the ball he's got it in both hands and he's just rubbing away on that thing and their argument is is that a brand new baseball that you just get out of the bag is not going to have that grip is going to have that shine on it. And they're trying to get rid of that. They're basically trying to dull it so that they can have a better grip on the baseball. Tyler Glass now had pointed it out, said he ended up getting hurt because he couldn't do it. And so you put the pitchers in a weird situation and end of the day for a pitcher, we're talking dollars and lots of dollars from a contract standpoint that if you are rated this high in strikeouts in the league and now you've suddenly dropped because your curveball doesn't have as much rotation and what do you attribute that to it's taking money out of your pocket 
whether you feel like it's a technicality or it's not. And so you're in a situation that the, the pitchers are up against it, but is baseball, in your opinion, really worried about this or are they kind of encouraging this because it's making people watch baseball in the month of June? You know what? You bring up a very good point. This timing, it might not be coincidental at all. This might be a reaction to dwindling fan interest in some demographics and in some circles and in some markets. And, you know, people like to see on TV where the pitcher's getting shook down like it's an episode of Locked Up Abroad. You know, there's guys that are on the mound that complain that when the ball comes out of the box, it has almost like a chalky type feel to it, what is completely the total opposite of what they want when they're trying to spin it. And if you got a chalky ball, you can't put anything on your hand. You're playing, uh, you're playing in Atlanta in late June, early July. I mean, the ball, the ball is going to fly out your hand. It's, it's going to, it's going to be difficult. I, I wonder where it's going to go, but I do question the timing of it. Maybe this could have been thought out a little different, but you bring up a very solid point. And I think there was a picture that you even wanted to take a look at uh, as far as some of the numbers were concerned. There was somebody that you were kind of keeping an eye on. Well, the always interesting on social media, interesting anywhere you find him, it seems, is Trevor Bauer. Uh, well-known character down here in Houston. I, I, I think in, him and Alex Bregman maybe need to hug it out, but it is interesting because Trevor Bauer allegedly was looking about the 2018 season, experimenting a little bit with, with grippy-type substances, allegedly, and not coincidentally, he was an all-star that year. That was his best season over there in Cleveland up until – 2020, which was extremely, obviously, shortened season, and he won the Cy Young. So you're looking at his kind of trajectory here. So, hmm, 2018, maybe playing around with some substances here, has 221 strikeouts, has a whip of .0089. That's really solid. He's allowing half a home run per nine innings, which is a career best. He had a great year. His ERA was 221, 12 and 6. You know, I don't put too much stock on wins because that's a lot on team performance. Solid year. Goes goes through the 2019 season, maybe a little fall off. Obviously, there was some other scandals going on in the background with some teams. And then we get to last year and I mean, he was phenomenal. I mean, he had a 0. .8 .80 whip. I mean, that that's crazy good. I mean, uh, no, no one's had anything like that. I mean, he he looked dominant this year. Maybe not quite at that level. It's come back to earth. If, if there's someone that has benefited from this, I mean, his strikeouts for the Dodgers right now are insane as well. I mean, he, he his strikeout rate is one of the best in the league. And I wonder if this is how it's going to impact him. He, he's one of those guys where maybe you like him if he's on your team, but would you want the Yankees to make a trade for him? I, I don't know. I mean, he maybe seems like the type of guy that would disrupt the clubhouse. I mean, I always think it's interesting that him and Garrett Cole being college teammates allegedly hate each other, which is kind of strange, but Hey, uh, you know, 
we'll we'll see what happens with it if his performance will continue to shine as it has at least since the beginning of 2020. And then who does this appeal to as far as a fan base and people that watch baseball games? Because I think that there's going to be the old school types or the people like maybe you or me. We'll go to a game and we'll go ahead and we'll enjoy watching the game. But I do think that there's going to be the casual fan that enjoys watching these. I hate calling them shakedowns, but it's kind of what they are. I mean, it's these these spider tack checks on these pitchers and it creates a different it's like if there's a brawl that goes on during a baseball game, it's going to lead the story on any type of sports network because it just draws eyeballs. It just draws audience. You know, everybody wants to see it. What fan base is this going to cater to? Is this going to bring in more casual fans to watch games during the summer and say, Oh, I can't wait to see the umpires pull this picture aside. And then we get the whole strip show. I think it might cause fans to go to the ballpark to watch it. I think the typical TV watching baseball fan is pretty hardcore. It's a tough sport to casually watch if you don't really understand, you don't really like it. Obviously, postseason excluded. I'm talking about dog days of summer, as you brought up, where, yeah, I think there's going to be people that have been, you know, under lockdown for a while, socially distant and going through, you know, coming out of a season where they had no ability to watch games and, Hey, I want to come out of the ballpark and, and 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 watch this guy, you know, strip it down on the mound for the ump as, as he conducts the search. So, I, I think you might see some uptick in fan attendance in some markets, but it's not going to draw a substantial, you know, lean over, especially right now where you have. You know, other sports going on, you have playoffs in the NBA, NHL, you you know, you have big soccer events, you have, you know, a lot of things going on. So I I don't know how that ultimately shake down, but I don't think it's going to be much impact. I do think there is one juggernaut that's on the horizon. It's a unique event, but the Olympics is going to be coming up this summer and they're going to take over all the ratings that you do see. So uh, this does provide some sort of audience if you're going in that direction. We're not conspiracy theorists. We're not trying to create something. But what I'm saying is, is that to me, I don't think that this necessarily hurts baseball and viewership as much as some other people might think. I think it's going to attract more attention. You're going to see more of that uh, interaction and some of those analytics and data that shows up on social media, which quite honestly is very important to a lot of these ball clubs and a lot of their environments from a marketing standpoint. The more people that are watching your product, the more products you can sell, and then you just have that that chain reaction, and basically that's what happens. So we'll see how it ends up happening out. I don't know. Is somebody going to get caught? Yes, somebody's definitely going to get caught at some point with some spider tack or some sort of substance. It's going to become a huge story. Might be a relief pitcher. Who knows? We'll see. I don't know how it ends up. It's going to be the search for the Pelican grip dip. I think that was one of them that was on there. I guess it would be hard to tell what is the grip dip, what is the spider tack, and what is just some sunscreen because it's hot outside. So let the games begin. Major League Baseball in the summer. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to the Sports Queue. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can find us anywhere you are listening and tell your friends to make sure that they subscribe. Euro. 2020. I'm going to call it 2020 because on a previous episode, I was calling it 2021. That is confusing. COVID is the most confusing thing because you still have events that were taking place, supposed to take place in 2020, still called 2020. Why do you think that is? What's the big deal of changing it to 2021? 
I think just the historical significance of keeping it on the, the even numbers. Because so it's, not, it's not like a bunch of t-shirts were printed and they're like, okay, we don't want to do this over again. <laughs> no, I mean, the Euro is so popular over there that they, they have, I, I think, almost no issue selling merchandise or creating interest. I mean, you've seen some of the matches now at this point and the, those fan parties they have and the various, you know, town centers of Europe. I mean, in England over there, they got Trafalgar Square and people are going crazy and and, and all those various venues throughout the continent. I mean, no, it, it's more for the historical because, you know, hey, Euro 92, 96, 2000, and it's just to keep the numbers even. Uh, and it's fine keeping it that way. I mean, and I know our listeners out there were giving me a hard time. They were like, man, this guy's got a, it's 2020. It's not 2021. So we got that dialed in. Before we dive into some of the picks and we'll kind of recap who uh, we liked and who we thought were, that they were going to excel and who kind of was a letdown uh, in the early stages or the, or the, uh, the group rounds, was the Christian Erickson thing, was that the craziest thing you've seen on a soccer field on live television? I mean, was that the wildest thing that you've ever experienced in, in any kind of, maybe even any kind of sport? Yes, absolutely Yes. I have never witnessed live a player die for a short period of time and be revived on the pitch. And then about an hour later, they continue the game. I will never forget as long as I live watching them resuscitate and get the shockers out and watching Christian Erickson's body jolt up and down as you see his wife crying and his teammate that ended up saving him Kyer, he's kind of the hero in this whole thing he made sure that he didn't swallow his tongue the medical staff there in, in Copenhagen deserves the highest of highest marks for their quick action and in getting him and you know I, I do believe I mean Christian Erickson is a EPL fans will remember his days on time the guy was phenomenal. He looked like a great playmaker. I, you know, I've seen him come up through the ranks in World Cup qualifying. I, I watched him play Poland in a couple matches, and he was a dominant player and single-handedly won a game that I recall back at that point. And, I mean, the guy will play again. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I think now if you don't have a team in the Euro or just jumping in here in the knockout stage that, because of this Christian Eriksen situation and, and the complete craziness around it, that Denmark is the public's team now. They they they're somebody to root for, uh, and they, they're gonna they're gonna have the work cut out for them. But hey, you know Wales, Denmark that that's now much must watch TV. Was it wild and irresponsible though to send those players back out on the field and have them play the rest of that game? I can see both sides of that argument, Chris. To me, the logistical situation and how condensed the Euro tournament is, they either had to do what they did or they had to play the next day. Apparently, once they received the news that he was stabilized, the team kind of decided to give it a go. But I watched that match when they came back on the pitch and you could see Casper Schmeichel, their goalkeeper, their captain. I'm, he looked like he just left a funeral when he was warming up. He did not look quick or balanced when he was warming up. 
I mean, the other the other team teammates that were coming out there it was the same thing. They they just looked lethargic. I'm sure the adrenaline, the emotions, everything had drained out of their body. You know, they're professional athletes. They can rise up and do things that, that are uncommon and exceptional. But to be placed in that situation, I mean, you saw what happened to Casper. It was one that went right to him. He he saves it literally probably 99 out of 100 times. He muffs it. You know, the result goes poorly for them and the rest is history. But they they rose up in that final game and smashed in some goals. And here they're on the knockout stage. And like I like I brought up in our previous episode in 1992, they were a late add to the tournament because Yugoslavia, which was united at that time and melted down into the Balkan Wars and were banned from the tournament. (laughs) So Denmark was brought in as a filler team as a last minute replacement and won the whole tournament. So who knows? There's some historical precedents for them to do something extraordinary and it would be interesting to see. So let's run through some of the groups here and we'll talk about Euro 2020 and uh, where they were, uh, where everybody ended up. So I liked Italy quite a bit. I felt like they always end up showing up. Uh, That's in group A. They end up winning that group pretty handily and pretty easily, uh, correct. But was there a surprise out of group A that you saw advancing out of that group? Group A, yeah, Wales. That was surprising. They... They were, I believe I said they were predicted to go last, in my opinion, in that group. I didn't think they had enough firepower to get it done, but they slugged their way through. And with this new format, well, pseudo new format where most of the teams advance, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see them getting there, but, you know, here they are. I mean, you're, you're looking at Wales, they're facing Denmark. I, I think this is where the ride stops. But four years ago, Wales had not qualified for, a major tournament, I think since the fifties and they make a run to the final four and it's stuff of legend in the Welsh country. I mean, you got Chris Coleman. He's, he's a now on ESPN as one of the head analysts. So opens up a lot of opportunities. So group B uh, Belgium seemed to do what you expected. Were they as impressive as you expected or were they even more impressive here in this group stage? Belgium to me, has been the juggernaut what I thought. Uh, you know, looking back on it, I thought Lukaku would have more goals, but they're chugging right along. But Portugal, who they're facing here now in the next round, I thought that would potentially be a, a matchup in the finals. But Portugal has been highly disappointing. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo has been fantastic. He has five goals. He's leading the golden boot. Didn't even talk about him and in, in, in our golden goop, boot pick uh, scenario and, and feel kind of foolish now considering who he is. I, I guess we want to discount him as a number nine, but he's an awesome number nine. And right now he's got five goals. He, he got him to the dance and there's some potential for an upset. I mean, obviously Belgium and Portugal are not going to be in the final, but I'm going to take Belgium to win. It's De Bruyne looks healthy. He looks he looks like he's getting his fitness back where he's going to be able to play a full match and, and, and be his awesome self. Group C, Netherlands, uh, Austria, both advancing out of there. Uh, was that as expected? Netherlands, you made a good case. You felt like that was one of the weaker groups, too, that you saw. Uh, but you felt like this was pretty formful. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, 
there's a little bit of chalk element to that. I mean, the Netherlands, Memphis Depay has been amazing, but they look fast. I mean, the Netherlands, when they get the ball, they look immediately to feed Depay. And then I think it's Dumfries on the wing. And, and when Aldum has three goals, he's he's been an awesome partner with him. They just look fast and athletic, and they play that simple ball. They're a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you're, you're looking at them playing the Czech Republic, who has been a, a surprise team to me. Uh, I, I didn't give them much respect, mainly because I just didn't know much of their roster. I looked at it and said, oh, I don't know who this guy is, Patrick Schick, and now he's got three goals, and one of them is probably one of the top five of the tournament. And But I, I think the party ends. I think the Dutch will, will take down the Czechs on that side and you know hopefully that would be very interesting to have a netherlands denmark uh in the quarterfinal and then yeah you talk about uh that group and then you're talking about the czech republic but england winning that group group d you felt like again this is a very strong team uh they've got a big shot what did you think of their performance here in the early stage looks like a workman's life like effort doesn't it i mean two goals for uh zero goals against uh just defensive is it, are they playing defensive type football right now? Well, I think a lot of the castration of the whole thing has been Harry Kane hasn't quite done enough for them. But you know, Raheem Sterling's had a couple goals. He he's looked fast and good. I mean, their team is still stacked. I've watched some of Germany. I told you Germany was the team. My pick to be the disappointment of the tournament, and. Looking at Germany versus England here in the next round, I'm going to pick England. You know, on this side of the ledger, England is going to take down Germany. This is a very mediocre German team. They don't have the classic number nine. Miroslav Klose has been in retirement for years. There's been no logical replacement. The talent they have is young. The English talent is young as well, but they seem to have more experience, and they were – they were kind of embarrassed in the last Euro when they lost to Iceland, and they have a chip on their shoulder. So I'm going to take England to beat Germany and and stick with my guns. Yeah, you were talking about Germany. You felt like they'd be a letdown. Uh, it seemed like they, again, workmanlike effort. We didn't really see a whole lot of upsets. I mean, it's pretty formful uh, as far as who got in. Uh, you talked about Sweden a little bit. You talked about Spain both advancing correct yep so they're in uh, you know it, it just looks like all the heavy hitters so we're going to the round of 16 and talking about some of these groups and you've talked about some of these matches uh where do we see the shocker uh where do we see advancement wales denmark is the one that kind of jumps out to me right away uh because that's an interesting match right there because it's probably that could go either way could it not absolutely absolutely chris i i i out of that side, look for Denmark to make a run or even Wales. But I'm going to take Denmark. Denmark and the Netherlands in the quarterfinals on that side. I'm going to take England over Germany. And when we're looking at that last part of there where we have Sweden and Ukraine, I wouldn't say either of those are big tournament favorites. Uh, I've The Swedish are hard to break down. They play a very disciplined style that they've been playing probably since the 50s it seems i'm going to take sweden over the ukraine if we're going to look at my upset of the tournament we're going to have to go the other side of the bracket i'm going to call it spain is going to lose to croatia 
That's a big one. That is a big one. And, and here's my rationale for it. Though Spain looked awesome today in complete dismemberment of the Slovakians, 5 to nil. There was a couple bad own goals by Slovakia. Alvaro Morata looks like he's in terrible form. They've had two PKs saved, which is the first time that has occurred in the Euro since the Dutch evidently had two in 2000. Wasn't watching then, but it's a pretty rare event. And this is, you know, this happened in the group stage. So you have to score goals, obviously, to advance. Croatia is battle-tested. They were in a World Cup final last time. I said in our, our previous episode that some of their players have aged, but you got Ivan Perisic. He looks just as awesome as ever. Luka Modric, he, he looks good. He, he's he's their corner kick taker. He's, he's their run-it-through-him flow player, and Croatia's going to pull another upset on Spain. Uh, looking at what we have here, that to me would be a significant upset, and I'm going to go with Croatia over Spain. Okay, that's a big upset right there. The one thing I will point out, and I've noticed, is that people seem to have given uh, the next World Cup to France and Brazil. It seems like folks are thinking that those are the two best teams in the world. This is away from Euro 2020, but are they currently the two best teams in the world as they stand right now? Is that a fair assessment to say that's the World Cup final? No. Here's why. No South American team has won the World Cup since 2002. That was Brazil. That Brazil team was extremely stacked. Ronaldo, Rivaldo. If we pulled up their roster right now, they they had unlimited firepower. Tough to beat. They, they tossed aside that German team. Germany had no chance against them. I think the power power dynamic of world football right now has shifted to Europe. And if I was asked to make a prediction, what continent or what team is going to win, it would be difficult to do now, but let's put it this way. I could see another all European final in 2022. I don't think a South American team is going to get there. If Brazil and Argentina that's normally, you know, outside the European region, your best bet. But I don't think any of them make it. I, I just, you know, there's a lot can change between now and then. But at the end of the day, the Europeans are just awesome right now. All right. Well, that's how we have it. That's how we look at it. Euro 2020. That's what we see kind of happening. Uh, I think the upsets that you're pointing out, Croatia, Spain, makes a lot of sense. Denmark, I think people are going to be rooting for. I agree with that. I still got to stick with Italy. I do think that they'll advance past Austria. I think that they'll handle them. Uh, Belgium, Portugal, that looks like an absolute clash of the titans. France, Switzerland, uh, France probably advances there. Sweden, Ukraine, that seems like a good matchup. So there's, there's a lot of good matches in there. Uh, who Who's still luck of the draw right here? Who, who's still got the best draw as you look at it right now? England. Because if Easy. England can beat Germany... England definitely has the best odds. Uh, I mean, you look at that side of the bracket, it's, to me, the heavyweights are the Dutch and the English on that side. Everybody else is kind of an upstart or hasn't done it yet or has never done it. So you're England, you beat Germany, 
you're facing the winner of Sweden, Ukraine. You should be able to take down whoever that is on any given day. And now you're sitting here in the semifinal looking most likely at the winner of the, the Dutch versus Denmark. I think they could handle either of those. Uh, I, I think the world football community would would love to see a semifinal of the remarkable story of the Danish somehow getting to the semifinals versus England. But I, I, I think England takes that side of the bracket. Um, and if we shift over to the other side, obviously I'm going to stick with my guns like you are Italy. And that's, that's Belgium, but that's going to be a, that's going to be a heck of a matchup to, to get into the final four is going to be Belgium, Italy. That might be, that might be the best one of the knockout round. What I'm looking at. I think France, I agree with you. France is going to roll Switzerland up. Switzerland doesn't have much of a chance. They've had a good tournament. I said I liked them as a possible group winner. That was a little bit of a flop, but France would take care of business against Croatia. I, I, I think they have too much talent. And then you're going to have France versus Belgium. Belgium going on. And then you got Belgium and England in the final. Belgium wins, hopefully. And then let's commiserate. You have about a couple minutes here just to commiserate on the team that did not perform up to quite the level that you thought uh, they were going to quite perform to in Euro 2020. Yeah, uh, old Polska <laughs> got dismantled by the Swedish powerhouse. Lewandowski, oh, on the first half of that one, he had one off the post, and then he had a layoff off, off the post, which he probably hadn't missed a goal like that since he was like four years old. They fall down 2-0, and they come all the way back and tie the game and are pressing for that final goal, and then their pathetic defense falters, which is pretty normal for them, and Sweden ends up winning 3-2 and also winning the group, which was extremely surprising, but not if you listen to the last episode when I said Sweden or Poland will win the group, so... I feel like I got a little bit of a rebate there, but at the end of the day, no, I was totally wrong. You know, it, it, it was a kick in the gut. From a bragging rights standpoint, how bad is this in Europe for uh, Poland to go down like this? I mean, are you just ruined until the next one? No, because you got World Cup qualifying and they got a pretty tough group. They got England in their group. It's the big matches internationally continue to roll on it is disappointing because 2016 euro was a good tournament for them i mean they literally did not lose unless it was in a shootout and, and they looked impressive they had the core of the team back it's it's like my father told me he's like they're wingers they're attackers they have no creativity and they're kind of sitting around waiting for Lewandowski to bark at them or do something there's so much deference to him and who he is that now yeah tournament's over they're back home all right so it's that old adage short memory gotta have a short memory and move on we'll see if that happens we're going to continue to follow euro 2020 i'm getting it right now it's euro 2020 but we're going to follow this uh through the end and see how our picks do end up and we'll see uh if mike is right i think he's been very spot on on a lot of these selections and keep following and uh, you know, throw a couple bucks down. And if uh, you get that score, give us a subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. Hey, we got uh, some listeners clamoring for NHL talk, something that I know nothing about. I think you equally know 
a little bit about, but uh, the thing that I do know about the NHL, the playoffs are always exciting. I, I think that from a viewership standpoint, we've talked about this during the episode. It's, it's a fun watch. Uh, Doc Emmerich, I will say from a play-by-play standpoint, he will go down as one of the best. If he's not, if he doesn't go into that Mount Rushmore type situation, from a play-by-play standpoint, the guy was phenomenal. Vocabulary, tempo, capturing moments, knowing every player, seamless play-by-play. For an announcer like me, that means something uh, just phenomenal. Tampa, would we be wrong in saying the Tampa Bay Lightning are somewhat of a dynasty in hockey? If they win this cup this time, they... Yeah, you win two cups in a row in the modern era. That's outstanding. I, I watched a lot of the finals last year. Uh, very casual Dallas Stars fan because that's the only team we can watch down here. Uh, they took care of business, uh, and they did it without Steven Stamkos. And then you go in the regular season, they were a little bit weak. Their best player is Nikita Kusharov. He he was injured, but he's back. I mean, he is a phenomenally explosive player. I mean, I'm looking at the odds now, Chris. Minus 125 Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I guess sometimes you got to take the layup, but maybe it would be more interesting to see who is going to lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're, I'm looking at the odds here. We got Montreal Canadiens at plus 325, and then the old Vegas Golden Knights at plus 350. That's been a that's been a good back and forth series. Who do you like out of that? Well, I, I think Tampa, you're seeing those numbers because Tampa's pretty much on their way to win. I mean, they're playing right now. So I think that they're on their way to win. So I think that those odds might be a little skewed because you're looking at probably live numbers. It's easier to project a team that's most likely going to end up in the Stanley Cup final uh, as opposed to uh, the projection between a Vegas and Montreal. Vegas has come back so many times uh, from deficits that I think Vegas is probably scared to push too much from a from an odd standpoint and make them a huge dog uh, because they've shown the ability to come back in series and come back in games if the new york islanders are able to come back in this game uh, six that they're playing against tampa then i think you're going to see those odds level up and people will know that result when they listen to this episode obviously uh, once we get it posted but uh, tampa if they advance the stanley cup final should probably end up being the favorite over a vegas or montreal I will say if Montreal gets there, the entire nation of Canada is probably going to be behind them. Maybe a little bit more with the the Maple Leafs. I, I think they're bigger Maple Leafs fans than maybe the Canadiens. I've been to a Canadiens game actually live in Montreal. and It was fantastic. It's a wonderful experience if you can get a chance to go. And they'll, they'll go wild. Um, and I think that you're going to have a lot of American fans actually rooting for the Canadian team as well. Uh, I don't think people feel as connected to the Tampa Bay Lightning as some of the other franchises in the NHL, as far as my opinion. Um, the Islanders would be a huge story if they were able to pull this off and get in. It doesn't look like they will. Uh, Vegas has just been a surprise. They've never been bad. I mean, they've been an expansion team, and they've arrived, and they just grabbed a bunch of guys, and they've never not been good. They've just been consistent and been a very good hockey team. Uh, so it's, a, it's an intriguing Final Four, and... I think that there's some sexier matchups than others. I think Islers, Islanders, Canadians is probably the home run. Tampa and Vegas is is a good one. Uh, Tampa and the Canadians, maybe a little bit uh, from a Canadian's viewership. Islanders, Vegas would still be okay. So I, th- I think their matchups are okay. Uh, it does look like Tampa knows how to figure it out, though, and win these Stanley Cups. So you got to kind of ride the favorite a little bit, don't you? 
I believe so. I mean, no Canadian team has won the cup since what, 1993. That's a long time. I mean, this Canadians team is very good. He said the bell center will be rocking up there in Montreal, extremely passionate fan base, have some friends from Montreal, hardcore Canadians fans. It would be a great story, but it's not going to happen. I mean, Tampa Bay, they are so stacked. They, they have, they have the equivalent of almost like a super team so much so that they have usurped, I think beside until Tom Brady went there <laughs> to Tampa Bay, they, they are the number one franchise there in Tampa Bay bar none sold out every game, which is interesting because it's, it's, Sunbelt hockey, you know, I mean, it's, it's non-traditional, but if they win this, you can say they're a modern dynasty. And I would say if that happens, which is looking very likely, and I think we're both in alignment that that is likely that you're looking at them as another overwhelming favorite to go three in a row, which would be insane. I mean, that's, you know, what Islanders won four in a row back in the early eighties, but it's you're talking Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers when teams are winning three, four cups in a row. You just don't see it anymore. Yeah. And these teams were really, you know, they were, they were kind of middle of the road teams. These were not runaway division winners. I mean, really any of them, as I look at some of their standings and some of their numbers during the season, they weren't, uh, you know, powerhouses. Vegas looked like they had the best uh, record coming in at 50, what, 40 and 14. Other than that, you know, Montreal was a just a sub look like sub five hundred type team. Uh, you know, you take a look at the Islanders; they were they were good, but they were in a tougher division. It looked like, and then Tampa was just pretty consistent as well. So uh, you can really uh, hockey seems like you get on a run, right? Like you get kind of streaky, you get hot, and you can kind of follow the hot hand. They just start playing well as a group. True. I, you've had more teams as far as playoff series go down 3-0 and then win, win four in a row in hockey than I think you do all the other sports combined. I don't think it's even close. It's To me, I've been to the playoffs in all the major sports. You go to a playoff hockey game, it's pretty intense and it's fast, and people are laying the wood out there they're going all out. You go to an, you go to a regular season game, NHL. You're not going to see that. Guys will let up. They'll cool off a little bit because it's a physical sport, and they probably got to play the next night or maybe two nights. But when it comes to playoffs, these guys are laying it all on the line, and, and they're laying the wood. Like I said, they're, they're they're crushing it, and it's it's very exciting. I mean, anybody that was is very casual about sport if you get an opportunity to go to a playoff game do it you'll think it's better the nhl to me is difficult to watch on tv because of the camera angles but if you get a good seat or even not that good of a seat in a live arena for the nhl it's a much better experience it's it's the the spectator the spectator experience is a great improvement over the tv product your boy got his nhl talk in now he can yell at us when he goes back and listens to this episode i can't wait to hear what he says before we get out of here don't forget to hit that subscribe button follow us on apple Podcasts. follow us on spotify it is the sports cue one last thing before we leave i'm going to throw this question to you my friend mike g here on the sports cue with the number one pick in the nba draft the detroit pistons select 
Cade Cunningham. That to me would be the number one pick. I, I saw him play. He just he's that versatile combo guard that that can. It looks like he can do it all. Uh, there was some poll that I saw last night because the Rockets got in the lottery and hit their fifty-two percent chance to get in the top four and and got number two and. Who should the Rockets take? And all these homers that love the Rockets are picking Cade Cunningham. And I had to chime in and say, he will not be available at number two. You need to look at Evan Mobley, center, USC. That's going to be the pick for the Rockets at number two. Cade Cunningham, number one, Detroit Pistons. I still am a Jalen Suggs guy. I think he's got a huge upside. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think that when he's surrounded by even more talent in the NBA, I think he's going to be a very strong player. Cade Cunningham probably never saw the bottom of him. I, to me, sometimes, and this was, I heard it on college broadcasts when they were talking about the games, there was just sometimes when he was passing up shots and he wasn't being as aggressive. Maybe he was got eyes on the NBA, but uh, it seems like for the most part, you don't see as many busts with the number one pick as we may see in other sports. Would that be an accurate description in the NBA. Yes. It I mean, seems like for the most part, they get the number one pick because Anthony Edwards, even I, I was like, mm, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it. And the guy's, the guy's a player. He can play. So I think the, the talent evaluating for a number one pick seems like they're pretty spot on here as of late. I agree. You know, it's funny that you bring up Anthony Edwards. I actually saw him play in Baton Rouge against LSU in March, 2020 right before the shutdown. And that was his last game, obviously, uh, in college. And I was watching this game with one of my buddies, and he looked so athletic and, and could just move. He looked the part, but I think he was like one of 10 from college three-point range. I'm like, this guy can't hit a three. He's not going to be successful in the NBA. I mean, I think it was probably his worst shooting night. I mean, we're talking small sample size, but He's shooting a lot better. I looked at his three-point percentage <laughs> at some point during the regular season. I was like, okay, well, that was just a you know abomination there. Hey, if he's worked on his shot, the biggest bust in NBA history, a number one pick, has to be the Canadian sensation Anthony Bennett out of UNLV. I think he was in the Rockets training camp, actually, like before the start of the season, trying to come back. I mean, I don't know if that guy ever started a game. I, I, whoever was the GM there, I, he hasn't got another job. That, that's for sure. I mean, Anthony Bennett, really? I'm going to take a 6-7 power forward from UNLV with the number one overall pick. I remember even watching the NBA draft that night, and everybody was just really confused. So normally they get it right because it's really easy. It, it's like, hey, this guy is awesome. Yep. I mean, the consensus is typically universal by draft night, but shows you even the professionals can completely screw it up. Yep. You want to stay away from the big men. I think there's a lot of risk versus reward there with the number one pick. We'll see what happens. You say Kay Cunningham to the Detroit Pistons lock it in. It seems like that's consensus. We should we should see what the number is on that. I bet it's low. I bet it's a really, really heavy favorite. I'm going to I'm going to go minus 1600. Minus 800. Oh, well there you go. That wasn't that far off then. It's a lock. It's yeah. He's good. Minus 800. <laughs>
<laughs> Actually, I think the other guys are probably the bet in that situation because you don't know what can happen between now and the draft. He can get hurt. He could have an issue come up. There could be all kinds of things. You never know. Well, you, don't Rockets, that, you, don't, you, don't, you don't wish that on anybody, by the way. You don't wish that on anybody. But The Rockets said they're open for business, uh, that they're willing <laughs> to trade the number two pick, and they got two other picks later in the first round. And then you got the former GM of the Rockets, Daryl Morey, up, up in your market, when asked about Ben Simmons after they were eliminated, he's basically didn't even realize he was on the team anymore. That's how quickly he's moved on. The magic trade machine is going to be in full effect on draft night. You're going to see some, you're going to see some movement. I don't know which way or what, but I, I, I could see maybe the Pistons want to get out of the number one pick. I mean, I don't know what scenario. I think they still have Blake Griffin and his damaged knees, but. All right, my man, we're going to get out of here. It's the Sports Queue. This was episode number five. Thanks for taking a listen. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For Mike G, I am CG. We are out, and we'll see you next time. Good night, fellas.